Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day where the life of Jesus meets yours. You've got your daily Bible reading today from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. As we begin today, I thought I'd begin with just a little bit of background. This is from a Bible study um, that, that one of my co-workers and associates had written a number of years ago. And it's a, the background to this letter is very helpful. On his third missionary journey, Paul stayed in Ephesus for about three years. While he was there, he learned about problems in the Corinthian congregation, and Chloe was the one who had told him this. This was back in 1 Corinthians. So while in Ephesus, Paul wrote his first letter to them, and then he decided to follow up with a personal visit. To spare them the extra grief by such a painful visit, and to demonstrate his confidence that, with God's word, he spared them another visit. But then Titus, Paul's co-worker, went to Corinth to see what progress was being made. A few months later, when he hasn't heard from Titus, Paul then decided to go to Corinth himself to offer some encouragement. On the way, Titus met him in Macedonia, north of Greece. Titus brought both good news and bad news. The good news was that Paul's letter had accomplished the desired effect. Most of the problems were, or had been, resolved. The bad news was that opponents of Paul's ministry were challenging Paul's authority and calling into question Paul's integrity. They were saying, Paul's not one of the original twelve apostles. He can't be trusted. Don't believe his words. Look how he said he would visit you, and then he didn't even show up. Paul is personally unreliable, and therefore his words can't be trusted. Paul realized that this opposition to him was a threat to the gospel. So from Macedonia, up by Philippi likely, um, he wrote this second letter. 2 Corinthians is a letter totally defended to his apostolic authority and thus is a defense of the gospel ministry carried on by all Christians in any place and at any time. And what we really have as kind of the theme, um, overall, overall theme of this book, is talking about the contrast of Christian ministry. Back in chapter 1 yesterday, we talked about changing plans and unchanging comfort. We talk about that a little bit more today in chapter 2. And then also in chapter 2, we get into the idea of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So here goes 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And some of that background, I think, is very helpful in understanding what Paul says and why he says what he says. That is why I made up my mind that I would not make another sad visit to you. For if I make you sad, then who is there to make me glad, other than those I made sad? I am writing for this very purpose, that when I arrive, I will not be made sad by those who should make me glad. I am confident about all of you, that what gives me joy is what gives joy to all of you. In fact, out of much trouble and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. My goal was not to make you sad, but that you would know how very much I love you. Now, if anyone has caused sorrow, he has not done it to me, but to all of you to some extent, not to overstate it. The punishment inflicted on this person by such of the majority is enough, so that instead you should rather forgive and comfort him, or else this person could be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. For that reason, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. In fact, this was also the purpose of my writing. I wanted to know the result of your being tested, that is, if you are obedient in all things. If you forgive anyone anything, I do too. 
To be sure, if I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven it in the presence of Christ for your sake, so that Satan will not take advantage of us. We are certainly not unaware of his schemes. When I came to Troas to proclaim the gospel of Christ, and a door was opened for me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them, and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always causes us to triumph in Christ, and reveals the fragrance of his knowledge through us in every place. Yes, we are the fragrance of Christ for God among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing. To some we are the odor of death that is a prelude to death, to the others a fragrance of life that is a prelude to life. And who is qualified for these things? To be sure, we are not like many who peddle the word of God for profit. Instead, in Christ, we speak with sincerity in the sight of God, as men from God. This is the word of our God. Verses 12 and 13 um, is that little bit of travel plan detail that is exactly what we talked about right before the reading of this of this chapter. We'll look at that ever so briefly. Paul says, When I came to Troas to proclaim the gospel of Christ, and a door was opened for me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye and went on to Macedonia. Troas is right by the port, um, you know, right by Constantinople or a little bit west of there. And it's in Asia Minor. And Paul has been traveling north from Ephesus. He gets to Troas and he's like, hey, you know, God, God really provided some opportunity there. But, um, but he had been waiting to hear back from Titus. And Titus was supposed to be coming back from Corinth. And so Paul says to those Corinthians, you know what? I gave up on the opportunity to preach the gospel there and to follow up on the opportunity there because I care about you, because I love you, because I needed to hear from Titus how things had gone. And despite the fact that there was new opportunity there, I went went across over to Macedonia, uh, which is, you know, like Philippi is right there in Macedonia, I believe. And, um, and that is where he came and ran into Titus. All right. So then the two major things that we want to talk about here, um, obviously we have talked about the, the comfort that we have received from Christ that we talked about yesterday in chapter one, and that this comfort we have received from Christ is for us to be able to comfort one another. Paul then makes the first application of this book by talking about probably talking, yeah, most likely talking about the man who had been caught in sexual immorality back in 1 Corinthians, um, you know, 1 Corinthians 5 or so, talking about this man who was sleeping with his father's wife and the Corinthians were proud about it and Paul rebuked them. And over the course of time, it's been three or four months since 1 Corinthians was written and he hears from Titus, first of all, man, this this guy has changed his ways. He has he has changed, he has repented, he has turned away from his sin, and um, but the congregation hasn't welcomed him back. He still wears a scarlet letter, so to speak, and when he walks in, they turn their backs, and when he walks in, everybody starts whispering, oh, you know who that is, oh, you know what he did. How could, how could anybody do that? And Paul says, if you forgive anyone anything, I do too. To be sure, if I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven it in the presence of Christ for your sake, so that Satan will not take advantage of us. What he's talking about there is the fact that forgiveness is free and complete in Jesus, 
And because forgiveness is free and complete in Jesus, when a sinner has repented, restoration needs to be free and complete. Because one of the schemes of Satan that teams up with our consciences, that teams up with our emotional, rational human minds, one of the schemes of the devil is to try to convince us through all these external ways, try to convince us that, um, that our forgiveness is not free and full and complete. Try to convince us that, hey, maybe I have to do these five things or say these seven things, and maybe maybe I just can't be forgiven because of what I did, because it was you know gross, disgusting, shameful, fill in the blank. That's a scheme of the devil, where he tries to rob us of the joy of forgiveness for the purpose of stealing one more soul away from our Lord. And Paul says, we are not unaware of his schemes. So if you have forgiven somebody, then forgive them. Welcome them back to full restoration so that so that they aren't overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. We are here, as he said in first in Second Corinthians chapter one, that even though things change, we are here to bring comfort, that the Christian ministry is a comforting ministry. Um that despite the changing plans of Paul, he was there to encourage the Corinthians with comfort. And especially in this place where this man had changed his, changed his actions as a fruit of repentance, we are here to bring comfort, to comfort those who have sinned. And that's what Paul says here in verse 8. For that reason, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him so that he would not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. And then the final element that he takes up begins in verse 14, and this goes on to, into the next chapter. And, um, and this is kind of the second contrast of the Christian ministry. The first contrast went through verse 11 or so, talking about changing plans and unchanging comfort. Um, but then he had that little interlude about, about his travel plans and how those had changed. And now the second major topic of 2 Corinthians comes up this topic of the old covenant and the new covenant. And he begins by talking about this new covenant, this new relationship that we have with our Lord, where, um, verse 14, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ and reveals the fragrance of his knowledge through us in every place. And that right there is another new picture of the Christian ministry, um, both public and private, that the gospel is like this fragrance, this scent. And, uh, and yes, the gospel is the knowledge of God, the, um, where God reveals himself to us. And so the gospel is this fragrance or this scent that is revealing God in every place, God in his grace, um, not God according to the conscience, but God according to the word. Okay. And if the gospel is a scent, Paul says that there is one scent and there are two reactions. Now, the gospel doesn't change, but the two reactions to that scent, to some, we are the odor of death, to the others, the fragrance of life. And I actually preached on this for like my second or third sermon ever. It must have been, I don't know, second or third. And, uh, and what Paul is talking about here in this word triumph, verse 14, who always causes us to triumph in Christ, what he's talking about is a Roman victory parade. 
after a war has been dragging on for, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 years, like a long time, the, the general has been off in a foreign country fighting away, <laughs> fighting away the barbarians, as it were. And, um, and he comes back and he announces that the war has been won and that the army is coming home. And then everybody in Rome gets on their best, their best clothing and they crowd the streets for a parade. And there's ticker tape floating down and there's um, rose petals and flower petals floating down. There's incense burning up and the, the army marches through the streets of the city to singing and dancing and, and song and shouts and everything. And they parade through the city with some of the, some of the treasures that they have plundered from that foreign nation, um, exotic animals that the people have never seen before, um, the whatever the palace had held, and they are demonstrating the wealth. And then they parade through the city with all the prisoners of the opposing army that they have taken, marching through the city in shackles marching through the city and everybody keeping in mind everybody smells the smells of that day the parade smells like one of victory for these roman people that the fight is over the battle is won that the incense signifies the scent of victory but that same scent has a different reaction among those who are walking in the parade as prisoners it is the scent of their doom because the parade goes all the way through the city of rome ending at the Colosseum, where they will then fight to the death. But the parade isn't finished yet. The last or second to last person in the parade is the opposing king or the opposing general as he walks along and everybody cheers and boos and everything. And then immediately after him stands the conquering general with a slave in the, in the chariot immediately behind him, whispering into his ear, even as the people cheer for him, the slave whispers gently and quietly, remember that you are mortal, remember that you are mortal. And the parade goes through the city all the way, terminating at the Colosseum. And that's the image that Paul has for the victory of Christ, for his resurrection, and for the spread of the gospel in this world the triumph, <laughs> where um, the gospel message proceeds through the world like a victory parade with this one scent attached to it, the gospel message. And that gospel message is received with cheering and fanfare. It's the gospel me message that we particularly sing about on Easter Sunday. The fight is over. The battle is won. The great CFW Walther um, Easter hymn, I think it's 143 or 147, something like that. And the image is that, yes, the scent of Jesus brings to us salvation. The scent reminds us that we are the victors. And to others, that same scent, it doesn't change, that same message is the scent of death. And that is exactly the reaction among others in this world. Those who oppose Christ, those who reject him, those who push him away, to them they hate the gospel message because to them it is the scent of death. And the other image, is, and where this is helpful, I think, first, where this is helpful is that this victory parade started in hell itself with the descent into hell after Jesus became alive again. And this victory parade continues through the world, um, marching through what history and geography until the time when Jesus returns from heaven. And it's really an image of how God has, of how our Lord Jesus has really taken the power and taken the sting and taken the, yeah, taken the power away from the devil and his demons. And this is the message that we proclaim. And so what shall we learn today? Two things. 
as we're kind of wrapping up here, we're going a little bit long, but two things that we learned today. First of all, forgiveness. What does that look like? Forgiveness that you have received from Jesus is the same forgiveness that we extend toward one another. And far be it from any of us that our attitude, that our actions, that our words would in any way communicate that somebody is lesser of a Christian, that somebody um, and their sin is something that we find personally repulsive and therefore has excluded them from any place at the Lord's table. Far be it from us to provide an opportunity for the devil to pull another person away from the free forgiveness that Jesus has won. And then secondly, pray for the progression of the gospel, that this gospel parade continues with one cent. That's all it has. And that one cent, yes, will have two different reactions. It's the rejoicing among the believers and the rejection among the unbelievers. So let's rejoice. Let's rejoice in the gospel message because, yes, Jesus has won. Christ is risen. Alleluia. Thanks for joining us today. Um, be sure to tune in tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll have 2 Corinthians chapter 3. God bless your day. <laughs>